Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, please take your Bibles and turn to Psalm, Psalm 71 today for our reading and our reflection as we kick off a fall season here at Oakwood Bible Church. Psalm 71, starting in verse 14 to the end of the chapter. Psalm 71, verse 14. Here the psalmist writes, but I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O oh God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O oh God, who is like you? You who have made me See, many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. And I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness. Oh, my God, I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed and my tongue will talk of your righteousness, your righteous help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Well, um, I'm really sorry about the shirt. Um, people keep looking at me and kind of like shrugging their shoulders and like, oh no, what? One of those guys. <coughs> yes, I am a Packer fan, and I'd like to remind you that the Packers really are God's team. They have a G on the side of their helmet. That gives it away. It's a dead giveaway. As we embark on this study today, years ago I ran across this video that I want to show to you real quick. It's a training video a training video from Chick-fil-A, of all things. It's an excellent video. And through it, I want you to see that there are people all around us who have a story of their own. Can you roll that, please? Truly, every life does have a story. There are people <coughs> you know all around you, even right now, who are hurting and are in desperate need of a touch from God through you today. Everyone around us needs to hear about who our God is. We have a story to tell. We need to tell of his grace and mercy. People need to know that we have an enduring hope and that we've experienced his perfect love. He has saved us from so much, and we need to tell of his presence and power. Our God is all-powerful, and our God is righteous. Our God does incredible things, and he will never forsake us. 
We need to tell of his comfort and guidance as he gives us life in the midst of our struggles. We need to tell of his faithfulness. We need to tell of his provision and protection. We need to get the word out. In the passage that we're looking at today, the key words in our passage have to do with communicating truth about who our God is to the next generation. Throughout the passage, you will see communication words like praise, tell, remind, proclaim, and talk. These words occur nine times over ten verses. So So this is very important teaching for us as we learn to get the word out today. Throughout the passage, We are told to tell about the wonders of our God. We will look at five pairings of attributes that describe our God, attributes that our world desperately needs to hear about today. I believe these are things that everyone wants to know about. But before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, We desperately need your help today as we come to your word. And even now, I'm struggling with my voice. So, Lord, we need your help. Lord, we ask that you would move in our midst and that you'd give us the ability to be able to dive into your word and to see what you have to teach us today. And so, Lord, guide us and direct us into your truth that we might not just hear it, but we'd actually walk in it in a real way. Lord, we know that there's no one here by accident, but by your sovereign hand, we're all gathered together today to hear what you have for us from this passage. So, Lord, guide us, direct us, be our teacher. Open your word to us, we ask. Your son's wonderful, awesome name. Amen. I'm going to take one more drink here, and then we're going to give it a shot, okay? All right. Let's go. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth. From this passage, we're told that we should tell of his grace and mercy. We should tell of his grace and mercy. Why? Because, first of all, we have an enduring hope. Notice what the text said in verse 14. I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. You see, we can run out of a lot of things in life. We can run out of gas. We can run out of money. We can run out of friends or even energy. But there will always be more of God. You'll never be able to come to the end of him. You can never run out of God. This is why we can hope continually. We can hope continually precisely because he is within himself a never-ending resource. He is an ever-present fountain of provision and sustenance for body, mind, and soul, we, of all people, in Christ, have a most enduring hope. Notice the psalmist's response to this. I will praise you yet more and more. Why? Because I put my hope continually in you. But secondly here, as we tell of his grace and mercy, we should because we have experienced a perfect love. The psalmist goes on to say in verse 15, My mouth will tell of your righteous acts. And we go, well, what righteous acts? Throughout the entire Bible, God is at work in, through, and for his people. 
We saw how he spared Noah in the flood. He provided a way for Moses through the Red Sea. He preserved Job. He upheld David. He protected Daniel from the lions and many others that we could list. But the ultimate righteous act from God is the demonstration of his love for us through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. How so? In that Christ died in our place. Greater love has no one than this, Jesus says, that someone lay down his life for his friends. There's no greater righteous act than this. It was a perfect love demonstrated for us. John, John writes in 1 John 4, 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Beloved, we have experienced an incredible grace and mercy in that he died for us. He took our place once and for all to pay for all of our rebellion. We have experienced, of all people, his perfect love. We have an enduring hope. But thirdly, we should tell of his grace and mercy because we have been saved from so much. At the end of verse 15, of your deeds of salvation, the psalmist says, all the day. For their number is past my knowledge. Deeds of salvation. Saved. Have you been saved? Saved from what? From our sin. From your sin. My sin. Saved from hell. Ultimately, we are saved from God's wrath. This is why we need to talk to people about this. This is what we should be telling others. Scripture demonstrates that if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, not only have you been saved, you're in the process of being saved, and you will most certainly be saved. You see, he received the wrath that we should have received. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 1. It won't be on the screen, but listen close. Paul writes, and you were dead, talking to the church in in Ephesus, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's the case for all of us. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. See, we need salvation. We need to be saved. Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. and Raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Are you hearing about his grace? Are you seeing it? The immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. You don't save yourself. We need someone to save us. We need Christ. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We've been saved from so much. We have experienced a perfect love. We have an enduring hope. But secondly here this morning, not only should we tell of his grace and mercy, we need to tell of his presence and his power. People need to hear about this. 
need to tell of his presence and power. Why? Because our God is all-powerful. Verse 16, with the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. Might, power, he is sovereign. That's who our God is. He is in control. That's what makes him God. Will you trust him? And we can rest in his sovereign hand no matter what is going on, no matter what is hitting the fan. God is sovereign over all things. Even the sovereign calamities allows in your life for his purposes as he grows and matures us and conforms us to the image of his beloved son. Paul writes to Timothy, a young pastor, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, referring to God, he is the only sovereign, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Our God is all-powerful. We need to tell of his presence and power because he's exactly that. He's here and he's all-powerful. But secondly here, he's, he is righteous. Our God is righteous. I'll remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. Only God is righteous. The scriptures speak of God in terms of his being holy. There's no other attribute in all of scripture that is taken to the third degree. Our God is not just holy. He's not just holy, holy. He is holy, holy. He is righteous, the only attribute taken so. Our God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't misrepresent the truth. He keeps his promises. He does what he says and what he says he does. He's not a man that he should lie. He is all-powerful and he is righteous. But thirdly here, our God does incredible things. Verse 17 says, Oh God, from my mouth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. Your wondrous deeds. And you kind of go like, well, what has he done? John Piper had the same question a few years back. He was reading Job 5 and 8 through 10. And Pastor John Piper read these words, But as for me, I would seek God. And I would place my cause before God, who does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number, he read. He gives rain on the earth and sends water on the fields. John Piper responded to that verse. He says, if you said to someone, my God does great and unsearchable things, he does wonders without number, and they responded, really, like what? Would you say, rain? Job is not joking. God does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. He gives rain on the earth. In Job's mind, rain really is one of the great unsearchable wonders that God does. But we ask, is rain really a great and unsearchable wonder wrought by God? Picture yourself as a farmer in the Near East, far from any lake or stream. A a few wells keep the family and animals supplied with water, but if the crops are to grow and the family is to be fed from from month to month, Water has to come on the fields from another source. Well, from where? Well, the sky. The sky? Yeah, water will come out of the clear blue sky. Well, not exactly. Water will have to be carried in the sky from the Mediterranean Sea over several hundred miles and then be poured out from the sky onto the fields. Carried? Well, how much does it weigh? Well, if one inch of rain falls on one square mile of farmland during the night, 
That would be 27,878,400 cubic feet of water, which is 206,300,160 gallons, which is 1,650,501,280 pounds of water. That's heavy. So how does it get up in the sky and stay up there if it's so heavy? Well, it gets up there by evaporation. Really? That's a nice word. What's it mean? Well, it means that the water sort of stops being water for a while so it can go up and not down. Oh, I see. Then how does it get down? Well, condensation happens. Well, what's that? Well, the water starts becoming water again by gathering around little dust particles between 0.0001 and 0.0001 centimeters wide. Well, that's small. What about the salt? Salt? Yeah, the Mediterranean Sea is salt water. That would kill the crops. What about the salt? Well, the salt has to be taken out. Oh, so the sky picks up a billion pounds of water from the sea, takes out the salt, then carries it for 300 miles, and then dumps it on the farm. Well, it doesn't dump it. If it dumped a billion pounds of water on the farm, the wheat would be crushed. So the sky dribbles the billion pounds of water down in little drops, and they have to be big enough to fall for one mile or so without evaporating and small enough to keep from crushing the wheat stalks. Well, how do all these microscopic specks of water that weigh a billion pounds get heavy enough to fall, if that's even the way to ask the question? Well, it's called coalescence. What's that? Well, it means the specks of water start bumping into each other and join up and get bigger. And when they are big enough, they fall. Just like that? Well, not exactly, because they would just bounce off each other instead of joining up if there were no electric field present. What? Never mind. Take my word for it. <laughs> I think instead I will just take Job's word for it. I still don't see why drops ever get to the ground because if they start falling as soon as they are heavier than air, they would be too small not to evaporate or on the way down. But if they wait to come down, what holds them up till they are big enough not to evaporate? Yes, I'm sure there's a name for that too. But I am satisfied now that by any name, this is a great and unsearchable thing that God has done. I think I should be thankful, lots more thankful than I am, grateful to God for the wonder of rain Pastor John, our God does incredible things. Our God is righteous. Our God is all-powerful. But fourthly here, our God will never forsake us. Oh, don't miss this. In verse 18, the psalmist says, So even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. Do you hear his heart? Don't leave me until I tell others about who you are, your power to all those to come. He mentions gray hairs. And I, what hair? <laughs> you know, fresh out, turns out. The idea that God will never leave, leave us or forsake us appears over and over again throughout the scriptures. Don't miss this. Deuteronomy 31.8, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. God says to Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, Joshua. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you, God says. Psalm 94, 14, for the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. I don't know what you're going through right now. You might feel like you're all alone in it, but understand, know for certain that if you've given your life to him, you will never be abandoned. You'll never be forsaken, ever. 
tell of his presence and his power. He's powerful. He's righteous. He does incredible things, and he'll never leave you. But thirdly today, tell of his comfort and guidance. Tell of his comfort and guidance. These are things we should be talking about with other people. First of all, we should tell of his comfort and guidance because he gives us life in the midst of our struggles. The psalmist goes on in verse 19, Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You've made me see many troubles and calamities and will revive me again. Yes, he is the one who allows us to see many troubles and calamities, but he also promises to always lift us up and revive us again from them. The promise from God is not that he would remove our difficulties, but rather that he will always, 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 always see us through them. What sovereign calamity is God allowing in your life right now? What sovereign calamity is yet on the horizon? Let him be the one who brings you life in the midst of your struggles. But not only that, he brings us up from the pit. The psalmist goes on to say, from the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. Have you been there? Where all hope is fading. Everything just seems to be becoming darker and darker. You feel like you've been thrown into a pit with no way out and no one to help. Yet he's the one who will always lift us up. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Peter writes, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Do you think Peter understands that? Remember Peter, Mr. Denier guy? Three times, I don't know him, I don't know him. And then he swears, I don't know him. Was he pretty low after that? Yeah, he went out and wept. Pretty low point in his life. But what does Jesus do? Jesus comes and restores him in a beautiful way. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Hey, Peter, do you love, hey, Pete, do you love me? The Lord is so good. He's so gracious to us. He brings us up out of the pit. He gives us life in the midst of our struggles. But thirdly, he restores us. You will increase my greatness. That's what the psalmist writes in verse 21. You'll increase my greatness. I don't know about you, but I don't have a bunch of greatness on me anyway. But any greatness I might have, it's, he's going to increase it. Greatness, the idea of strength, the idea of power. He restores our power. He increases our strength. First Peter, Peter writes this in 5, 8 through 11. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Oh, he wants so much to restore you and put you back in a better position than you were when you started. But fourthly here, he comforts us. The psalmist says in 21, you will increase my greatness and comfort me again. Scripture says that he is indeed the God of all comfort. 
As Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. In other words, anything that you're going through right now is not for no purpose. You know, isn't it bad enough that bad things happen, but for them to take place for no reason, that's worse, isn't it? I can't even intellectually deal with that. But to know that God is purposing whatever is happening in my world so that I might be used by him to bring comfort to someone else, which is precisely what's being discussed here. He is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so Christ will share abundantly in comfort too. Fourthly, tell of his faithfulness and his goodness. First of all here, he will always be there for us. Notice what it says in verse 22. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness. Oh, our God is so faithful. We are the ones who are fickle. We're the ones who don't hang in there. He's always there. He's always faithful. I'm going to praise you for your faithfulness. Oh, my God, I will sing praises to you with the lyre. Oh, holy one of Israel. Things and people will let you down, won't they? All sorts of daily disappointments we encounter. Someone cuts you off in traffic. Or you finally grab for your favorite cereal box in the pantry only to find out it's already empty. I hate when that happens. When you just have enough change for the vending machine and then you put your money in the snack, gets stuck on the way down in that bin thingy. I hate that. When you get the wrong bag of food in the fast food drive-thru and you already pulled away before you realize you don't have your stuff. When the tab thingy breaks off your soda can while you're trying to open it and you're super thirsty. When you, your plastic fork breaks, oh, I hate that. Biting into that awesome looking cookie only to discover those chocolate chunks are really raisins. Blah. After a rough night, you finally fall asleep and your alarm goes off and it's already time to get up. It seems like you only slept for five minutes. A lot of things let us down. A lot of things are disappointments. But God will never let you down. He will always be there. The psalmist speaks of God's faithfulness. Webster's Dictionary defines faithfulness this way. Loyal firm in keeping promises or in fulfilling duties, firm in one's allegiance. He is most loyal, most firm in his allegiance toward you. He will always keep his promises. He will always be there for us. He will always be faithful and good. But not only that, he has freed us from sin, which is probably perhaps the most remarkable thing here. Verse 23, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you redeemed. My soul's been redeemed through faith in Christ. This is fantastic. This is something that we totally undervalue. We undervalue God's redemption work in our lives. Do you realize that if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have been redeemed, you've been cleansed of all unrighteousness and are now free to walk in newness of life in righteousness with him. 
That means you can put away the stinky bottle. You can put away the filthy weed. You can put away the disgusting porn. And you can set aside your outrageous and immature outbursts of anger. Run for your life from temptation. Run to the arms of Christ. He's freed us from sin. If you're still struggling in your sin, you're so living beneath your means. Jesus answers in John 8, 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, what? You'll be free indeed. Be free. If you need help in walking away from your sin, get the help that you need. You're free. You now have all the freedom in the world with the Holy Spirit in you through faith to finally walk in victory over sin. There is real victory and freedom found at the foot of the cross. I've seen it in the lives of countless people. I've seen it in my own life. This is our God who does amazing things. He's freed us from sin. He will always be there for us. He's so faithful and good. And lastly this morning, what else should we tell others about? Well, we need to tell of his provision and his protection. He provides for us all day long. In verse 24, and my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. He's always helping us constantly. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And he, he does. He gives us our bread and so much more. He's literally helping us all day long. He's given you your faith, your family, his word, his spirit, his love. He is a very present help in times of trouble, the scriptures say. He even helps us in our suffering. Then there's all of creation that he, he's given us. He helps us with our inabilities and our inadequacies. He is sovereign. And even right now, he's upholding all things by the power of his hands. Romans 11.36, Paul writes, for from him and through him, through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. He provides for us all day long. There isn't a thing I have in my world that hasn't come from him. But secondly here and lastly, he defends us from our enemies. In verse 24, and my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. There are those who are trying to injure us, to give us a hard time, a bad day. Who are your enemies that you're dealing with right now? Perhaps it might even be someone in your household, maybe a close relative, mother or father or a son or daughter who once you were aligned and walking in a great relationship, but now it's gone south. And things have turned, and hearts are broken. And now it's possible they could even be conceived as a, an enemy. We have to rest in what God is doing as he defends us from our enemies. I don't have to defend myself. We don't have to defend ourselves. We can allow him to uphold us, to protect us as he defends us. In God's time, they will be put to shame, Scripture says. They will be the ones who are disappointed. Do we really need to do anything? Not really. We need to act prudently within the nature of the relationship, but for the most part, maybe we can win them without a word. He's God. 
God can handle those who are giving us a hard time. He can handle them even better than you can. He defends us from our enemies. He provides for us all day long. This is precisely what happened to Jesus. To what degree did Jesus fight these people who were trying to put him on the cross? No. On top of it, from the cross, he cries out, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Beloved, we need to tell people. We need to tell people about all these things, these incredible things about who our God is. But you might say, well, I don't know where to start in talking to people about these things. What if no one wants to hear my message? Or what if our message damages the relationship? Or what if I'm just afraid and I don't know what to say? Or they ask me a hard spiritual question I don't know the answer to? Or what if they just outright reject me? What if I just don't see myself as a very bold person? Well, it just so turns out that this Wednesday we're starting a class called The Great Commission on how we can share the good news with others. I hope you can come, 6 o'clock. We'll give you some resources and tools to help you do that and to do that well. But beloved, God can handle these things as we have an incredible story to tell. We need to tell of his grace and mercy, his presence and power, his comfort and guidance, his faithfulness and goodness, his provision and his protection. We desperately need to get the, world out, the word out. I believe people are interested in these things. We just perhaps need to be more winsome, more excited about it. Instead of being a wet blanket, who do you need to tell today? What ministry do you need to plug into to make sure the next generation hears about our amazing God? The gym is all set up for all of you to go in and find something that you can give yourself to here at our church. Many are already serving in wonderful capacities here, but there's more to do. Whether it's our children's ministry, our youth ministry, you want to help in the kitchen, you want to, you want to help clean the church, we got stuff for you to do. We'd love to have your help. Well, at this time, I'd like to invite Liam and Leanna to come up here. We have some parting gifts for our contestants today. So, first of all, Leanna, here's a baptism certificate for you. And a flower. And here's one for you, sir. And this is a flower. Now, I know a young man is really excited about having a flower. <laughs> I, I'd give it to your mom. That's what I would do. Right? Let's thank the Lord for these two. Thank you. You may be seated. And maybe... You're the one who needs to get the flower next time when you're baptized, if you haven't done so already. Would you please stand as we close our service? Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Lord, help us to get a clue on these things. There are people around us who are hurting, who desperately need your care, your love, your grace. 
So Lord, help us to be the ones who tell about your grace and your mercy, your presence and power, your comfort and guidance, your faithfulness and goodness, your provision and protection. Help us to not shrink back from that. Lord, in our minds, we begin thinking about people we know we need to talk to, but perhaps it's been many years and we're just don't want to take that next step. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to take the step that we need to take to reach out. And who knows, maybe they've been waiting for a long time for us to make the first move. Lord, I pray that you'd use that in the midst of your people, that hearts would receive your grace and your love, that we would be the ones embracing others as you've embraced us. May we take the same love we've received and now go pour that into the lives of others. Oh, God, help us as we are your people. To not just talk about these things, but to actually live it in a real way. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time we can be together. We just want you to receive all the glory today. We, all, we pray all of this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. And all God's people said, amen. Now, before you walk out the door, just so you know, you go straight down the hall. There's a bunch of awesome people in there. That, and you can go to each table, and you can get a, probably a snack or something cool. But there's also hot dogs. There's uh, popcorn and chips. And just go live it up and have fun. So just go. Thanks for coming.